Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Hello and welcome to Pro-Life Primetime News. Today is Friday, February 9th. I'm Leslie Palma. And I'm Teresa Watson. Thanks for joining us this evening. In our top story, we'll take you to Tallahassee, the Florida state capitol, where the Supreme Court this week heard a case about an amendment that abortion advocates hope to have on the ballot in November. Priest for Life National Director Frank Pavone will report from the scene. In Abortion in the News, I'll tell you about a federal effort to destroy the bodies of five late-term babies who were killed, perhaps illegally, by a D.C. abortionist. In Political News in a Nutshell, I'll report on President Biden's apparent confusion about what exactly it means to have abortion available for all three trimesters. As 40 Days for Life prepares to embark on its spring campaign next week, CEO and President Sean Carney in a new video discusses some encouraging trends in the fight to abolish abortion. Please stay with us. This week, Priests for Life is hosting several dozen pro-life leaders from around the country, and the busy schedule meant we had to tape our show one day early. We've posted updates on our X account at Pro-Life News Show. The Florida Supreme Court on Wednesday heard oral arguments in a case that will decide the fate of a proposed amendment that, if approved, would insert a right to abortion in the state constitution. The courthouse in Tallahassee attracted crowds of pro-lifers and pro-abortion protesters, and Priest for Life National Director Frank Pavone was the keynote speaker at a conference organized by Florida Voice for the Unborn. Friends, pro-life leader Frank Pavone here. I'm outside of the Supreme Court of Florida where the oral arguments were just held on a very important question. Should this ballot initiative be allowed to be on the ballot in November, calling for a constitutional right to abortion in the Florida Constitution? So the oral arguments were just held. The justices had uh, very difficult questions for both sides. They're really probing the legal issues involved. And what the uh, state of Florida is saying is, look, this is vague. The voters need to know what they are voting on. So the language of the amendment needs to be clear enough for people to understand what they're really choosing. And that's what what is at issue here. We had a press conference right after the oral arguments, and I shared that perspective. And I challenged the other side to be clear, to be honest, to be open with the voters. There were various speakers here. There were various Florida pro-life groups represented. There were people here from around the state. And there were various lawmakers here from the Florida legislature that encouraged us to do something very simple, to educate people from now whether or not this initiative will end up on the ballot. That's still a question, but to educate people from now about the extreme nature of the other side's proposal. Not only do they want abortion up until the very latest stages of pregnancy, but they don't want any measure at all that would even delay an abortion, not much less restrict it. So for example, a law that says, give the woman more information about abortion, give her a day uh, to consider that information before she has the procedure, even that would not be allowed under an amendment like this. The people here are fired up, They are ready to educate their fellow voters. Let's all do the same as we battle these amendments, not only in Florida, but in other states as well. It was a great day here. I was very encouraged and pleased to be the keynote speaker at this rally. Thanks for joining with us in this effort for pro-life. 
Inside the courthouse, Florida's Republican Attorney General Ashley Moody argued that the proposed amendment would allow abortions to remain legal until the fetus is viable, an imprecise term that Moody argued was open to interpretation. Those differences, along with the failure to define health and health care provider, she said, are enough to deceive voters and potentially open a box of legal questions in the future. The pro-abortion group pushing the amendment, Floridians Protecting Freedom, has gathered nearly a million signatures from Florida voters to get the issue on the ballot. If passed, the amendment would negate all other state laws enacted to protect the unborn and their mothers, including a 15-week law whose constitutionality is awaiting a ruling from the state Supreme Court. Republican legislators in several other states are working to keep abortion amendments off their ballots as well. A proposal passed last month by the Mississippi House would ban residents from placing abortion initiatives on the statewide ballot. The proposal is expected to have a tougher time when it comes before the Senate. The case that led to the overturning of Roe v. Wade in 2022 originated in Mississippi. After the proposal to keep abortion amendments off the ballot passed last month, House Speaker Jason White told the Associated Press, it took 50 years to overturn Roe v. Wade. We weren't going to let it just be thrown out the window by folks coming in from out of state, spending 50 million bucks and running an initiative through. In Missouri, pro-lifers have thrown their support behind a proposal to require ballot initiatives to win a majority vote in five of the state's eight congressional districts, in addition to a simple statewide majority. Meanwhile, abortion advocates have come up with numerous ballot proposals whose wording a Missouri appeals court recently found to be misleading. The Biden administration has ordered the destruction of five victims of late-term abortion who were discovered nearly two years ago outside the Washington, D.C. abortion killing center run by Cesar Santangelo. Viewers may recall that pro-life activist Lauren Handy was arrested when the baby's bodies were found in her home. In March 2022, a driver sent to collect medical waste at the facility gave her a box containing the remains of 115 aborted babies, including five who were clearly the victims of late-term and possibly illegal abortion. Last year, dozens of U.S. congressional leaders joined pro-life advocates in demanding a federal investigation into Santangelo's practice. That never happened. Now the office of the D.C. Medical Examiner has notified Handy's lawyers with the Thomas More Society that, at the direction of the Federal Justice Department, the bodies will be destroyed. The law firm has filed an emergency motion to prevent the bodies from being destroyed, and pro-life lawmakers in the U.S. House and Senate have been asked to intervene. Thomas More attorney Martin Cannon, in an interview with The Daily Signal, said the condition of the babies and the circumstances of their deaths is pertinent to sentencing if Handy is convicted, and he wondered why the Justice Department is involved. There's no real reason the DOJ should have such sway over the examiner's office, he said. Beyond Lauren's case, there is a general need to have these babies examined. He believes two of them were born alive and left to die, and that others might have been killed through illegal partial birth abortion. The case is moving quip quickly, and we'll post updates on at Pro-Life News Show on X. Lauren Handy, meanwhile, is currently in jail with other pro-life activists awaiting sentencing in a separate case. As a U.S. Supreme Court hearing approaches for a case that could impact the way the abortion drug mifepristone is distributed, the publisher of some of the studies used to support the case against the drug have been retracted. Sage Publishing said researchers failed to disclose their ties to pro-life organizations. One of the studies found that abortions using mifepristone are followed by a high rate of emergency room visits compared to surgical abortions. As you may recall, last week we reported on a study that invented an outrageous number of rape-related pregnancies in states where babies are protected from abortion. The lead researcher was a Planned Parenthood director and a plaintiff in, lawsuit, in a lawsuit challenging pro-life laws in Montana. 
Pro-life observers say this is a clear example of the abortion distortion plaguing our nation, particularly the mainstream media. 26 pregnancy resource centers in Arkansas are splitting half a million dollars as the state makes good on its promise to provide twice that amount to pregnancy centers, maternity homes, adoption agencies, and social service agencies that provide material support to women with unplanned pregnancies. The measure, which also contained language clarifying that grant funding cannot go to abortion providers or their affiliates, was overwhelmingly passed by the state legislature last year. The first grants were dispersed last month and the rest will be given out by June 30th. Planned Parenthood is behind a lawsuit seeking to push back by three weeks the cutoff for mothers in South Carolina to abort their children. Filing on behalf of a woman who left the state for an abortion after six weeks, when a fetal heartbeat can be detected and state law kicks in, Planned Parenthood claims the major components of the heart don't form until nine weeks. In an interview with the Associated Press, the plaintiff describes her abortion in North Carolina at six weeks and four days as, quote, a race to the finish line. And finally, the Idaho Attorney General's office announced that a challenge to the state's Defense of Life Act by the Satanic Temple has been defeated. In a lawsuit, the temple argued that the Constitution grants women the right to abort their children as part of a satanic ritual. After a state law was enacted protecting nearly all babies from abortion, temple members sued Attorney General Raul Labrador, a county prosecutor, and the state. A federal district court judge has now dismissed the suit, but the Satanic Temple said it would appeal to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. And that's abortion in the news. Republican presidential contender Nikki Haley only managed a second place finish in the Nevada Republican primary on Tuesday, suffering the humiliation of scoring fewer votes than the none of these candidates box on silver state ballot papers. Donald Trump was not in contention in the state run primary, but instead appeared in Nevada's GOP organized caucus on Thursday, where his only challenger was Texas pastor Ryan Binkley. The win in Nevada will allow Trump to pick up 26 delegates and further cement his dominance of the race for the Republican Party's presidential nomination. Haley's defeat did not cost her any delegates, but does severely weaken her claim to be able to mount a serious challenge to the frontrunner. It also places even greater pressure on her performance in South Carolina in that state's February 24th primary. Also this week, Biden won Democratic primaries in South Carolina and Nevada. Social media users were confused and outraged when Biden appeared to argue that legal abortion for all three trimesters was not abortion on demand. During a Las Vegas campaign stop on Sunday, Biden contrasted his record on abortion with former President Trump. While insisting that he would bring back Roe v. Wade, he attacked Trump for arguing that Biden wants no limits on abortion. I love how Trump now says Biden is for abortion on demand. That's not true. That's not what Roe v. Wade said. It said the three trimesters and how it worked, Biden said. Many people pointed out that pregnancy only has three trimesters, meaning that he was admitting Roe v. Wade legalized abortion up until birth with few restrictions, which could be considered on demand. Does Biden think there's a fourth trimester? Twitchy's Doug Powers asked on X. Well, we'll have to wait and see if Doug's question is ever answered. Republican National Committee Chair Rona McDaniel is expected to leave her job this spring after former President Donald Trump had increasingly grown critical of her leadership, according to people familiar with the matter. The decision came as she visited Mar-a-Lago and met with Trump on Monday. But the situation remained fluid, according to the people who spoke on the condition of anonymity to reveal private discussions.
The news of her departure was first reported by the New York Times, which reported it was likely to occur after the South Carolina primary on February 24th. McDaniel, who is in her fourth term as chair of the RNC, was expected to serve until 2025, but has considered leaving for months. Her relationship with Trump soured over the Republican primary debates featuring his challengers this past fall. According to the people familiar with the discussions, Trump wanted her to cancel them, and she declined. Trump's campaign has increasingly grown frustrated with McDaniel's leadership. They have worried over what they view as the RNC's lackluster fundraising, as well as the more muscular role they hoped the committee could play in the general election, match up with President Biden. The party had about half as much money as the DNC at the end of December. Trump also has repeatedly told advisors that McDaniel was not doing enough on election integrity. But in private, he has been nice to her, the people familiar with the meeting say, and has not forcefully pushed for her ouster, even as some of her critics have called for it. The pair met for over two hours on Monday. Trump is weighing other candidates for the job and has focused on Michael Watley, the North Carolina GOP chairman, who has supported Trump's claims of election fraud as a favorite. Two people familiar with his comments said, McDaniel has promised a lengthy and smooth transition. Nothing has changed, RNC spokesman Keith Shipper said Tuesday night. This will be decided after South Carolina. Mike Reed, the RNC's chief of staff, announced Tuesday that he planned to step down from his role at the committee as well. Reed had privately long told confidants that he planned to leave after the RNC's winter meeting this past weekend in Las Vegas and had a job lined up since the fall. And that's political news in a nutshell. The 40 Days for Life spring campaign will kick off next week on Ash Wednesday, with organizers pleased to report that the grassroots effort to provide a peaceful, prayerful witness outside abortion businesses continues to grow to more cities across the country. 40 Days CEO and President Sean Carney highlights in a new video some very encouraging trends in the fight against abortion. Let's watch. In just a few days, we will kick off the largest Lent 40 Days for Life campaign ever as we enter the second full year uh, of a post-Roe America. The 40 Days for Life campaign kicks off on uh, February the 14th. That's one of those years where Valentine's Day is on Ash Wednesday. So uh, not the most romantic uh, day of the year. So you may want to celebrate Valentine's Day uh, the day before, unless you think Ash Wednesday is very romantic, then, then go for it. Uh, but it's going to be a record-sized campaign. And I just want to cover some of the trends and some of the good news that we have uh, going on uh, in, in the pro-life movement, particularly at the grassroots as we enter this second full year uh, after the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Because so many things have gotten very uh, insane. We, we have people that just five years ago would have would have been sickened to their stomach by the idea of infanticide or abortion at 40 weeks. And now they're just actively, uh, you know, promoting it as if it's just like legitimate, you know, political viewpoint and not the barbaric act that it is. And I think all of these trends are very good because what happened when they overturned Roe v. Wade is that obviously 
got sent back to the States. And that's why things like 40 Days for Life are, are in our highest demand. Our, our team's done a great job at keeping up with the demand. But this goes now, it's market driven. And market driven for us is, is hearts and minds on the sidewalks. It's why we work so closely with our friends at the Pregnancy Resource Centers. And we just see some trends. Number one, the birth rate uh, is going up, which is fantastic because if you don't abort a baby, he or she will get to live and be born which is a good thing, a very good thing. And so the birth rate uh, is going up. We also see record number of abortion facilities uh, being closed. We just reported uh, an awesome victory when the longtime uh, abortion facility, notorious abortion facility in the Bronx, New York, finally closed. New York did not become pro-life. The Bronx is not the hub of the pro-life movement, but we had 40 Days for Life campaigns there for years. Hearts and minds were changed in a place that many said would never close or never stop doing abortions is closed after decades of doing abortions. Praise God for that. That is about hearts and minds. That is a victory uh, that we can give God the glory for and that we can build upon. We see other abortion facilities close. We see record numbers of babies being saved on the sidewalks. We also see a record number of people participating in 40 Days for Life alone. I can, I can speak for us. You know, we've had a number of new cities uh, we see that that the most pro-abortion areas of our country, uh, there's not discouragement in California and Illinois and in New York. You would think that. You would think that, you know, well, abortion's here to stay. We're never making it illegal here. But it's the opposite. We've got new cities. We've trained uh, new leaders. We train a record number of leaders in person in 2023. We'll do more in 2024 because of the high demand in these pro-abortion areas for 40 Days for Life and the, the effectiveness it has at driving down the bottom line of local abortion facilities, not through intimidation and not through hatred, but through love through alternatives, through genuine conversation that you don't have to do this today. You don't have to have an abortion. It is great hope that we uh, get to offer uh, women uh, on the sidewalks. And it works because nobody wants an abortion, ultimately. Nobody grows up wanting one. And we offer them hope. Uh, they, they take it. And we are seeing that more in a post-pro-America than ever before. That's a good trend. Another good trend that doesn't always feel so good is the persecution, uh, not just from the DOJ. And we have our, our lawsuit on behalf of Mark Houck and his family, which will really heat up in a couple of months. You'll see more uh, on that. We see the prosecution uh, from, from the DOJ and just the targeting of just them just not leaving us alone. Um, and, and the attacks on free speech with buffer zones in New York and, and, and the many legal battles we have to have to defend our right to defend uh, the unborn. Um, but we also see a new trend, which is crazy, in California where Governor Newsom, who's basically decided he's going to live on the moon, he had his AG uh, create a law against abortion pill reversal. Abortion pills reversal is very effective. It's very effective. It's medically based. It was created by a doctor, Dr. Delgado. And it's, it's phenomenal. I've met many children who are alive today uh, because of abortion pill reversal. It is a natural process. It's an easy process. And California wants to make it 
illegal because they're one of the many states that has recently made abortion their sacrament. And they are suing pregnancy resource centers. They're suing our friends at Heartbeat International. We just had a Jarell Gotzi, their president, on our podcast talking about uh, this, this lawsuit because they do abortion pill reversal. We will defend our people. We will defend our rights uh, for free speech, particularly when it is giving uh, a voice to science, uh, a voice to reason, and a voice uh, to common sense. And all of these trends are good. All of these trends are good. That's why uh, there should be so much momentum there should be zero discouragement as we head into the largest spring 40 Days for Life campaign ever uh, on, on St. Valentine's Day. There should be so much encouragement because we're winning in the grassroots. And they have to do all this nonsense. They have to create all this rhetoric and garbage uh, because the comfort of Roe is gone. And they don't want to discuss abortion. They don't want to talk about the biological reality of unborn children. They don't want to talk about what abortion does. They're being forced to defend abortion, and it's indefensible. And so they're going after our right to talk about it and to witness to it. And so, of course, we'll protect ourselves legally, and we'll continue to win those cases. Um, but we'll continue to go out there and offer uh, the love, joyfully offer, the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ and the practical, professional, medical alternatives that are available to women across the country. Women who are seeking an alternative, whether it be in California or another state that want help uh, from a local pregnancy center, that want help from a local 40 Days for Life volunteer. So all of these are great signs that we are winning in a post-real world. This goes, this is now market-driven. We have to win hearts and minds at the grassroots, and that is working. Women are choosing life, abortion workers are converting, and abortion facilities are closing, and I want you to be a part of it. Join us on February the 14th. Go to 40daysforlife.com, find the location uh, closest to you uh, so that we can continue to defend our country, to set an example uh, around the world that you do not have to live with abortion, that uh, America, our, uh, the superpower, the country that has, that has spread abortion around the world more than any other nation, uh, sadly, we are ending abortion. We overturned Roe v. Wade, and now we are ending it state by state at the local level, one woman at a time, one baby at a time, one abortion facility at a time. And it is a beautiful and tremendous opportunity for you to get involved and to be part of it. So go to 40daysforlife.com and be part of the beginning of the end of abortion. Thank you so much for joining us on Pro-Life Primetime News, produced at Priest for Life headquarters in Titusville, Florida. If you like our show, please support us by making a donation to ProLifeGift.org. These donations help fund all of our work here at Priest for Life, which enables us to continue educating, equipping, and activating God's people to end abortion. For all your Pro-Life News updates during the week, please follow us on X at Pro-Life News Show. I'm Teresa Watson, Executive Manager. I'm Leslie Palma, Communications Director. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.